Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. Joining me here is Matt Myers, MLB.com national editor. Matt, hello. we got a lot to talk about this week. We're going to talk about a new StatCast record that was set just this week. We are going to talk about a couple of National League playoff teams, maybe playoff teams, one team that got off to a great start and has collapsed, uh, and a team that is somehow sticking around in the race, which I think is very fun. And we're going to induct uh, a throw into the Hall of Fame this week, but it's also kind of what the players said about the throw that we're going to induct into the Hall of Fame. So first, would you like to be the first to introduce our, our new StatCast record that got set just this week. It would be my pleasure because I've been tracking this one for a while. Uh, on Wednesday, Aaron Judge had his 78th barrel of the year, which set a single-season barrel record. Uh, obviously, only going back to 2015 when StatCast began, but still a record nonetheless. Uh, he passed Miguel Cabrera, who had 77 barrels in 2016. Uh, and just for a reminder, barrels, Mike, what are barrels? Barrels are the perfect batted ball. They're the perfect combination of exit velocity and launch angle uh, because you obviously need both to be successful. And the way we've defined barrels is it's got to be any kind of batted ball with a minimum expected outcome of a 500 batting average and a 1,500 slugging percentage. And that's minimum. That's just to get in the door. The actual average this year on all barreled balls is an 826 batting average and a 2,800 slugging percentage. <laughs> it's like the best thing you can possibly do. Uh, 80% of all home runs are barrels. It is possible to hit a home run that's not a barrel. 61% of barrels are home runs. It's possible to you know double and triple and not be a home run. The point is, if you do this, you're generally very, very good because, uh, as you said, Aaron Judge now has the record for the most. Last year, Miguel Cabrera. Uh, the third most was actually J.D. Martinez in 2015, which I think is interesting because some people seem to think that he only just got good this year when he got traded to Arizona, where he's actually been quite good for like three or four years now. And uh, if you look at the park-adjusted stats, he's actually been relatively similar with Diamondbacks in Detroit, which I think is fascinating. Yeah, amazingly, Martinez leads the majors in slugging, which uh, it's hard to believe given the season that John Carlos Stanton is having. Um, he has 25 home runs since joining the Diamondbacks, which is the most home runs ever hit by a player after being acquired after July 1st in a given season. So he is having a huge year. Um, what's interesting about barrels to me is how stable it's been. The leaderboard every year basically, you know, and this sort of speaks to sort of how the difference, differences you get in performances versus results. The home run leader will vary year to year. You know, this year Stan's going to hit almost 60. Sometimes you'll get, you know, the leader will be in the 40s. Barrels basically every year. 2015, the leader was 74. Last year was 77. This year, it's going to be right around it. We could get our first 80-barrel season. We probably will get but our first 80-barrel right. season. But the variance is not going to be huge. Because, yeah. you know, we've seen from year to year, home runs can be a difference of 20 home runs, right? It could be 43 one year and, you know, 63 or around there the next year. Uh, and barrels are stable, which I think is is cool because anytime we come up with a new metric, you always want to know, well, what does this mean the next year, right? Is it going to be this this year and then the leader is going to have 10 times as much the next year? It's hard to tell because we don't have decades of data to look back on this is all very new uh, so you're right i think that's really cool so you can have a pretty good idea that the 2018 barrel leader will have somewhere in the range of 75 to 80 barrels uh you know and you can have some good guesses as to who that may be but i think that's really interesting um the career not career but maybe since that guess came online in 2015 barrel leader by the way is none of those names it's nelson cruz which I guess makes sense. Obviously, it's not going to be Judge. He didn't play in the first year. And uh, Nelson Cruz with 186 barrels, just ahead of J.D. Martinez, 175. And Chris with a K. Davis at 169. Mike Trout, number four. Mike Trout always pops up on every interesting leaderboard. So uh, congratulations to Aaron Judge, who set the barrel record. And before we move on, let's just listen to the barrel record. It was actually on a home run. And they don't have to be a home run, but it was. It was a home run against Bartolo Colon just the other night. Let's listen to that one for a second. 
And the pitch is cut on and hit in the air to deep right. It is high. It is far. It is gone. A Judgian blast right inside the right field foul ball. All rise. Here comes the judge. So Aaron Judge has set the barrel record, and that's great. But I also think this allows us to talk a little bit about Aaron Judge, like we haven't done that on this show enough already. But it, it's interesting, right? He gets off to this phenomenal start. And then July was really not so great. August was kind of a mess. And I think that kicked him out of the MVP conversation for a lot of people, wouldn't you say? Like, like Jose Altuve sort of overtook him a lot. Well, you know, Jose Altuve had that ridiculous July where he had like I'm making this up, but it was like 20 multi-hit games where he was just like it was it was crazy. Hit like 440 in July or something absurd like that. So, but I think that's changed now a little bit because if you look at Aaron Judge's September, he he's been awesome. A 407 on base in September, eight home runs, a 705 slugging percentage, and a weighted runs created plus of 176, where 100 is league average. So. So Aaron Judge in September looks pretty much like Aaron Judge uh, for this for the season, more or less. Maybe a little bit more power, but he looks like himself again. And if you, I mean, also if you remember, the, the season is you can't, the games in April and May count as much as the games right now. So if you look at the season and from a Statcast perspective, Judge, it's a good reminder that he's really as good as Stanton's been from Statcast perspective. Judge is still the guy this year. He leads the league in barrels, as we mentioned. He has the highest av- he has the highest max velo in a given batted ball, 121.1 miles per hour. Stanton has the second highest, 118.7. He has the highest average exit velocity, 94.5 miles an hour. Nelson Cruz second at 93. He has the highest number of barrels per batted ball. Um, so basically, tw- 20, 24.5%. So basically, a quarter of the time when he hits the ball, it's a barrel. Which is, which is amazing. And that, that has gone up a lot from last year because I don't think we've had guys over 20% like that before. Um, and also barrels for plate appearances, 12.2. He leads the majors. J.D. Martinez second at 11.6. And hard hit rate, you know, percentage of batted balls above 95 miles per hour. He leads the majors in that as well. Like, and that's all with his slump. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so the course of his season, you know, he's been as good as anyone in terms of just like hitting the ball hard constantly. And I mean, 45 home runs. Whether you care about it or not, 100 RBIs, 100 runs, 100 walks, it's an impressive season. The question is going to come down to, do you care about consistency? Because Altuve has been great every single month of the season, whereas Altuve, whereas Judge was better than Altuve for the first two months, and then for the next two months was much worse. Do you care about that? I don't really care about that. Like If I'm looking at a season-long MVP award, I want to know what was the totality of what a guy did. Um, for the season and if you look at their overall numbers by the way right now they have an identical 160 weighted runs creative plus which i think is great they got there in so many different ways obviously consistency versus not consistency uh you know enormous power versus altuve uh, using his speed to get hit 350 do you do you see them i see them as identical basically even the war is wins above replacement by fan graphs is essentially seven wins above replacement i see them as basically having identical value this season what do you think yeah i, I agree and i mean part of what makes it amusing is not just the different paths they took it is like literally they're literal body types one right is literally the <laughs> largest guy in baseball one is literally the smallest guy in baseball and here we are they have essentially been equal value the one thing that i think is cool about altuve where he sort of stands out in a way that isn't surprising but still sort of impressive because you don't think of the best player in baseball in, in his league doing this is he leads the majors in infield hits you know, which is not something you expect your M- MVP to do. But Altuve is amazing because he can do a little bit. I mean, he's how many home runs do he have this year? 24 home runs. 24 home runs. So he hits home runs, um, but he also d- 
does the quote unquote little things. He gets extra hits. He gets extra bases. Um, so it's it's going to be an interesting discussion. Also, Jose Ramirez has sort of thrown himself into the MVP discussion, but I think it's really going to be about in the end. It's given the the September the judges had. I think it's going to end up being a judge versus Altuve discussion. I, I think you're right. I think earlier in the year there was some uh, momentum for Chris Sale, but now he's not even maybe not even likely to win the Cy Young. So I think he's out of the MVP conversation. Ramirez is going to get some love. But even though he's had a better September and Cleveland has all the narrative, if you just look at the totality of the season, he's not Altuve or Judge. And we thought Mike Trout was going to be in it, but he hasn't really had a good September either. I think he may have – it's not been bad, but he hasn't been as outstanding. That's what he needs. I mean, if he hits 800 for the last week with, you know, 10 homers and the sure. Angels make the playoffs, he gets back into this discussion because he's still, you know, on a per-plate appearance basis, is still the best player but he missed so much time that it's hard to say he's been the, really the most valuable over the course of the season. If, if Trout ends up winning, it'll be a very narrative-driven well, yes. win, which is very, which is kind of uh, maybe would make up for maybe the uh, MVPs he should have won and didn't win. Well, remember, ballots for all of these awards are due at the end of the regular season, even though you won't find out, out about them until after the playoffs. Uh, my prediction is Altuve will win, Judge will come in second. If I had a vote, I would flip that. I would go Judge first, Altuve second. Do you disagree? I feel. I mean, I sort of. I mean, I don't want to say that like how the Yankees do in the standings is going to affect my opinion of this, but I do kind of want to. I want to see where we stand at the end of the season. Like, there's still there are still ten games left to be played, so you might as well wait. If I had to make a vote now, I'd probably. And for the record, I I'm not a voter. Mike is a member of the BBWA. He's not voting on this award. Um, So my opinion of AL MVP, I'd probably vote. I don't. I don't know. That's probably the right answer. Yeah. That is probably the right answer. It's tough. It's a tough call. I think Judge will be the unanimous rookie of the year. But uh... well, what I hope is that. So I think we can agree that they will both get some votes. And I hope that anybody who votes for Judge mentions that he is now the record holder for most barrels in a season. Uh, so welcome, Aaron Judge. That's fantastic. So before we move on, we do want to take a second to tell you about the Fantasy 401 podcast. If you are still in contention to win your league this year, Fred Zinke and Matthew Leach can give you the edge in any format. Last week's episode talked about streaking hitters who can help your squad as we move into the fantasy playoffs. And they named a few big name players who it's safe to drop in most leagues. So before you set your lineup or hit the waiver wire, subscribe to the Fantasy 401 podcast on Apple Podcasts today now while we move on if you do hear us i don't know throwing anything against the wall you should know that here in the studio we do have the dodgers phillies game on and um hasn't been great for the dodgers lately they are losing at the moment and if they do lose this game they're going to get swept by the phillies uh the dodgers were at one point 96 and 56 the dodgers are currently excuse me they were at one point 91 and 36 and they are currently 96 and 56 that is bad that's very bad they followed up their enormous losing streak by winning four seemed like things were getting better uh they are now losing four in a row and on the verge of being swept by the phillies everything is bad on the verge (laughs) for the record um and you know this will obviously be over by the time you uh listen to this it is four three phillies in the Sixth inning. So there's a lot of baseball to be played left in this game, but your point stands. It has been a, no other way to put it, miserable um, last four weeks for the Dodgers. And it's it's kind of been a team effort, right? I mean, you look this up. So uh, you set this since August 25th. That's basically when things fell apart for the well, Dodgers, right? It's not a completely arbitrary point. It's the, the, the largest gap between them and the Indians was 20 games. And since they were 20 games ahead of the Indians on August 25th, the Indians are now one game behind them. <laughs> it's... Yeah. We have yet to calculate the uh, the probability of this happening, but it's 
It's going to happen. It's, it's minute. It's going to happen. Cleveland is going to overtake the Dodgers, and that of all the stories about the about Cleveland this year, that is not one that's going to get enough play, I think. But anyway, so the, the fact of the matter is, so we went back to August 25th when the Dodgers were 20 games ahead of the Indians. Right. So since then, we looked at uh, expected weighted on base, and this is uh, for hitters. And what that is is it takes into account strikeouts and walks and quality of contact, you know, launch angle, exit velocity, and everything. League average is about 320. So since August 25th, unsurprisingly, Cleveland is number one in this by a lot. 358. The Dodgers are 24th at 296. Uh, prior to that, the Dodgers were 335, which was second best. And Cleveland was actually still pretty decent. They were fourth best. But the point here is that the Dodgers uh, took a pretty decent step back by about 40 points or so of expected weighted on base. And, uh, you know, I know part of it's the rotation as well. I guess the rotation's been okay. But the offense has really just fallen apart, and you can point to injuries. Corey Seager uh, has had uh, an elbow issue. I think just the other night he fouled a ball off his ankle. He hasn't really hit much. Jock Peterson got shipped off to the minors. You know, Justin Turner got hurt in this game that we're watching right now. He got hit by a pitch, and he had to leave. Yasmani Grandal has been a mess. Uh, Curtis Granderson just homered, by the way, but that's okay. He's still been – listen, I think I said on this show how much I loved Curtis Granderson and that every team in baseball was dumb for not trading for him, and he's been an absolute disaster with the Dodgers. I know that they weren't going to maintain how great they were. That was a case of everything that could possibly be going right, going right. And this feels like their comeuppance and then some. Yeah, I mean, for from the how worried should we be? You know, some of this is there's some like sort of just bad luck, whatever you want to call it, involved. But there are some like actual warning signs. And the biggest one to me is Seager because with the injury and the way that he has been hitting or not hitting, like I'm not sure that we're really going to see Corey Seager in October. And that's to me, he's. When, when healthy, he's their best player. So, like, you take the best player out of the lineup or or a lesser version of the player in the lineup, then it's a, it's a different team. Yeah, he. I mean, if, if he's not playing, then the start, starting shortstop is, I don't know, Chris Taylor? I mean, they started Logan Forsythe today, who hasn't played shortstop or started as shortstop since 2014. So, I mean, that's worrisome, and it, it, especially if Turner is hurt. We don't know what's going to happen with Turner. Biden. He's been their best hitter. He took a pitch off the thumb for those who didn't see it, which right. Was... I mean, but back to Seager, you know, this is actually his third injury because he had a hamstring problem earlier in the year. And I ran uh, a rolling exit velocity chart for Seager, and it's pretty clear to see when he started having elbow issues. And they've been talking about it mostly in terms of you know him fielding, which makes sense. He's a shortstop, but you can see pretty much right away the exit velocity started to decline when the elbow started barking. And this is a team that prides themselves on their depth, so in theory they should be able to cover for a lot of the stuff. But some of these guys have to just start hitting, right? I mean, in September, prior to this game, Curtis Granderson, 122, 246, 204. Grandal has an 071 batting average and 51 plate appearances. Jock Peterson has a two, which run created plus, that is two, as in two. <laughs> I mean, this this is a mess. And if they get swept by the Phillies here, I mean, that's, that's narrative that you cannot overcome, I think. I mean, so you know, obviously when things, they're going to make the playoffs, they're still probably going to win the division um although they're going to win the division <laughs> I, well, I don't know if they're going to get the number one seed but the question is how much you know do you how much does the reset button get hit um in terms of their sort of mojo whatever what have you when this when right. the playoffs start you know i was looking at true blue la put out a list on um, the dodger blog put out a list of the worst um september finishes by playoff teams and sort of how they went on to go and do in the postseason and the worst um Winning percentage is the 98 Padres, who were 9-15 and 15 in September, and they still made it to the World Series. So, obviously, like, the fact of the matter is that, like, they it didn't torpedo, like, what they were going to do in October. They ended up, like, gathering themselves, what have you, and still made it to the World Series, obviously, where they got swept by the Yankees. 
But there's a lot of teams who've had really bad Septembers. The 2000 Yankees are sort of the comp that comes to mind. They lost like 12 of their last 14 or something and then went on to win the World Series. Yeah, the, the 2015 Royals had a, a pretty rotten September, too. And then I think they won a couple of their, their final games, but obviously things worked out for them. So there there are a couple of things that I think uh, Dodger fans can can take some hope from. And part of that is you know, it's been well proven for the most part. There is no such thing as momentum. September performance doesn't really carry over into October. And also, if you're this many games up, obviously you're going to, if you're Dave Roberts, you're going to manage a little bit differently than you would in October. I know Dodger fans are freaking out about him using Pedro Baez because Pedro Baez uh, was a guy I think we identified early on. Yeah, he had a fancy ERA. It was like 150 but his expected weighted on base did not back that up. And he's obviously been pretty rotten for a while. Uh, In September alone, he has a 20.7 ERA. That is, as they say, bad. And he was in the game the other night, and I think it was the eighth inning, it was a tie game, and he blew the game. He's not going to be used like that in... He's probably not going to be on the roster in October. Some of these guys, like Wilmer Font, right? Uh, Fabio Castillo, these guys are not all going to be on the roster. So while there are uh, real signs of, of problems, I don't think you can also take... All of these things to be actual problems. For sure. No, to me, as I said, it comes back to Seager and also Grandal, who you said earlier, you think that Austin Barnes might end up being the, the, the regular catcher in the, in the I postseason. Think, I think Austin Barnes is going to be the starter in the postseason. So, I mean, when you think about it, when you think of where they were two months ago when Grandal was playing really well and Seager was playing well, and you take like good Seager and good Grandal and take them out and replace them with Barnes, who has been playing well, Barnes and, you know, whatever the combination they use of, to, you know, to fill shortstop, it's just not the same it's just not the same team yeah and they had sort of hoped that logan forsyth would start hitting because he never did and he, he still hasn't so that's a big hole in the lineup there but i will say that the pitching seems okay alex wood looked pretty good the other night uh you darvish looked pretty good the other night kershaw that hanging slider for a grand slam aside has looked pretty good i mean i think rotation will be okay you never know what you're going to get out of rich hill uh he's either very good or, or a mess but hyunjin ryu has looked pretty fantastic recently so they have depth i mean it, this is something we'll talk more about next week probably but pretty much every team in the postseason is going to have two starters for the dodgers it'll be kershaw and darvish and then everybody else is going to be piggybacked like three and a half innings here two innings there uh, and I think the Dodgers are as positioned, well positioned as pretty much anybody to do that. And you certainly can't also uh, forget the fact that, you know, given the extra off days in the offseason, Ken- Kenley Jansen can basically pitch in every game. That's the thing. If you really wanted to win that game on September 19th against the Phillies, you bring in Kenley Jansen in the eighth inning. Uh, you don't do that for obvious reasons. So there are other teams who are actually, you know, having a little bit of better September than the Dodgers. Would you believe the Milwaukee Brewers are still in the race they are currently 81 and 71 they are three and a half games behind the cubs in the central but more importantly they're only one game behind colorado in the wild card i think we've both been saying for like three months we were wondering when somebody would overtake the rockies it seems like it might be soon although last night at the brewers wednesday night's game that was they, that was their chance they led in the eighth inning and they ended up blowing the lead with like a it was like a throwing error that and then the, the pirates who've just been just brutal this month uh, ended up winning on an Adam Frazier walk-off home run in extra innings. But that was – they were like four outs away from tying the Rockies. So that was uh, – as a, I was envisioning being a Brewers fan watching that game and thinking that they were on the verge of, of, of moving into a playoff position. So that was a tough one. But still, they opened up a four-game set with the Cubs tonight where if they sweep and they swept the Cubs in Chicago uh, two weekends ago – they're in first place right i mean we're, we're thinking about this mostly from the wild card but the nl central is still in play so they have four with the cubs uh then three against the reds and two and three more uh, in st louis and the cardinals probably are not going to have that much to play for at that point so milwaukee is still very much in this and the question for most of the season has been how especially since this is I don't, this is like the most painful injury the entire season i think jimmy nelson who had been you know okay for a couple of seasons really figured it out this year he was fantastic 
And then earlier in September, he was sliding headfirst in the first base, destroyed his arm, had to have like labrum surgery. He's going to miss part of next year, which is just an absolute killer for a guy who'd finally put it together. But if you look at September and you look at the team pitching weighted on base leaders, would you believe the Milwaukee Brewers are number one best in baseball, 266, uh, just ahead of the Yankees, just ahead of Cleveland, just ahead of Washington, ahead of Cleveland, ahead of Cleveland, <laughs> the Milwaukee Well, but see, that's interesting. So that's expected weighted on base. Uh, pitching ERA leaders, Cleveland is number one at 199, and Milwaukee is third at 307. That tells you a little bit about the sort of things that need to go right for you to win, like 26 of 27 or whatever Cleveland is up to these days. But that's really interesting. I mean, you would not have thought that the Brewers, of all teams, would be number one in this. In I certainly would not. You know, the uh, <laughs> some of the names that they're, they're, they're putting out there, and I got it just players that I certainly hadn't heard of, some of them until, like, as recently as like two days ago, it's well, like two hours. And ago. We'll get to one of those names in a minute, but like you know, Josh Hader, who they got from the um, and we, I think we talked about this trade last week. Where they got in the um, or maybe we talked about it. We talk about baseball a lot, so I can't remember what we talk about right. on the podcast. Or they got in the uh, the, the Perez, uh, no, the Carlos Gomes, Gomes trade yeah. from the from the Astros with um, uh, with Santana, who's yeah. their right fielder, and with Brett Phillips, who we talked about last week. Um, Hader's been ridiculous. Uh, Expected weight on base uh, against of 149, which is that's thir- just in September. By the just way, just in September, um, they have they have two of the five best pitchers in September at expected weighted on base, a minimum of 20 plate appearances. So that's 376 guys. Pedro Baez, by the way, being 373. Just in case you were wondering, uh, Josh Hader, number three, Anthony Swarzak, who was a pickup from the White Sox earlier this year at number four. That's that's pretty impressive right there. But it's interesting that these are guys who are not necessarily seven or eight inning starters because here's something else the brewers are doing which i find fascinating uh they do not have let's just say they do not have a starting rotation right now uh the opening day brewers rotation was junior guerra who was a a very pleasant surprise last year he only started 13 games none since july got hurt uh willie peralta went to the bullpen in may got dfa'd in july tommy malone got dfa'd surfaced with the mets uh, Nelson obviously got injured uh, and then Zach Davies and Chase Anderson and Anderson had an oblique issue but he's been very good so those two guys are still in the rotation and later on Matt Garza surfaced and he's not there now I'm going to read you some names the Brewers of the last 10 games these are the guys who've started for the Brewers okay Zach Davies okay fine Brandon Woodruff Brent Suter uh, Chase Anderson Jeremy Jeffress longtime reliever making his first career start in what was a bullpen game he's not a starter now uh, Davis again Woodruff again Brent Suter Anderson and then Aaron Wilkerson, who I think is a name that neither one of us had ever heard of. And then we dug into it a little bit. And it turns out Aaron Wilkerson, who made his first career start the other night, has actually got a really interesting story. Yeah, he, um, he like, I went to I went to his baseball reference page trying to like dig into and I saw a big gap between when he finished high school and when he debuted in the majors because he went to an NAI, NAI school uh, and was not drafted. He went to Cumberland University. And for some sports dorks like myself, Cumberland rings a bell because I remember as a kid, I had this book that was called Strange But True Sports Stories, which people of my generation, um, or I guess our generation, may have had, because I feel like a lot of my friends had it too, which is, you know, it is what it what it says it was, Strange But True Sports Stories. And it had like a, a big takeout on when Georgia Tech, coached by Johnny Heisman, beat Cumberland University 222 to nothing in like 1910. And so like Cumberland University has always stuck with me because of that. And I, you know, read that book over and over again. And of course... Aaron Wilkerson, a Pratt alum of Cumberland University, um, he pitched an NAI record at one point 
of 54 consecutive scores. He's the Don Drysdale of uh, or or Hershey. So that's not like. Uh, and then he blew out his elbow. Yeah, undrafted Tommy John pitched for. And I swear these are real names in the independent leagues: the Florence Kentucky Freedom, the Fort Worth Cats, the Grand Prairie Air Hogs. Uh, Got signed by the Red Sox in the minor league deal 2014, dealt to the Brewers in 2016 for Aaron Hill. And this is not a story about Aaron Wilkerson, but this is the point that the Brewers have just kind of come up with the rotation because everybody they had early on has either been injured or underperformed. And I looked at uh, in September the uh, the innings per game started, and they're not last because you know some teams like the Tigers have had real actual issues, but they're like 25th or something. But it's almost it's not necessarily by design, but there is something to this because if you have guys, if you don't have a Scherzer, right? If you don't have a Kluber, then you don't want to push guys six or seven innings who just aren't prepared to do it. You know, this is what playoff baseball is going to look like. You're going to have guys turn over the rotation twice and get out of there. And also the same thing in the playoffs, you can use your best relievers more because of all the days off. Well, in September, you have expanded rosters, so you can really, really maximize leverage and be like, okay, we're losing 5-1, it's the eighth inning, I'm going to put in, you know, the last guy in my September bullpen, which is usually a 4A guy, and then, you know, in the the sort of the more bullpen games they're doing, you can say, okay, I know, like last night, Jacob Barms pitched in like the third inning, Jeffers pitched in the fifth inning, it was like, they knew, okay, we're going to, we're going to put in Wilkerson, but like, we're not going to let him turn, at most, he's going to turn over the lineup twice, and then we, you know, we have guys who know they're going to basically know in advance, okay, I'm coming in, you know, in the fourth or fifth inning, I'm coming in in the fifth or sixth inning. And we're seeing that strategy now in September. We're going to see it in October. It's just get used to, this is the, this is the game now. Yeah. I, and I just, I find it so entertaining that the best team in baseball in September at limiting dangerous contact and getting strikeouts and walks is a team full of guys Basically, most people have never heard of, right? Andre Ethier just tied this game, by the way. We're still watching the Dodgers-Phillies game here. Andre Ethier back from the dead. His first home run probably all year, I think. Yeah, he's been hurt probably all year. Since, his, since uh, the John Lester home run. Yeah, that, that weird home run in the playoffs last year that longtime listeners will remember when he uh, hit one that was like 95 degrees and 40, 95 miles an hour and 40 I, degrees and was blown out of the blown out of the stadium. I know this takes us all over the place, but I really like like live broadcasting a game while we're doing a podcast. I'm so sure, anyway, I'm that sure game's listen, tied. I'm sure our listeners love it, especially too. since they're already going to know the outcome of this game by the time they've heard it. Anyway, two questions for you on the Brewers. Number one is, do they take the Central? Uh, no, I think the the, the, I, the, Cubs, the Cubs the despite the fact they got swept by the Brewers two weekends ago, the Cubs have been really good for about six weeks now, and the Cubs are kind of the Cubs again. Yeah, they, they're not. And Arietta's back now. Yeah, I mean, uh, he's pitching tonight actually. Right. Um, they're not as like firing on all cylinders like they were last year. Lester's been kind of up and down, and Arietta's been hurt, but like the offense has been really good. As we've noted before, Chris Bryant is basically having the same season as last yeah, year. Yeah, and nobody cares. Um, so I mean, it'll be it's gonna be a great atmosphere because it's probably gonna be thirty to forty percent Cubs fans in Milwaukee for this series. So yeah. it's gonna kind of be more of like a college football atmosphere for these games. So it should be should be pretty cool. Um, and so I think the, I think the Cubs are gonna hold on. Do they take out the Brewers for second wild card? I mean, the Rockies. You mean? I'm sorry. Do the Brewers I'm, take out? The I am Rockies? predicting a game 163. Oh, see, I like that. I I really like that. I want that to happen. Rockies Brewers <laughs> in in Coors Field. I guess it would be. I don't know what the Rockies. I don't know. I don't know what the, uh, yeah, I don't know what the uh, the the home field the the tiebreak with their head to head boys this year. Yeah. I'll, have to, I'll have to go look that up. Okay, well that'd be interesting. Uh, I'm rooting for that as well. Finally, we do have some interesting uh, Hall of Fame news here. Our Statcast Hall of Fame. We are going to induct a Jackie Bradley throw. From uh, Monday night, two outs in the bottom of the seventh. Game was tied at eight. They were playing Baltimore. Pedro Alvarez, back in the major leagues, ripped a double off the wall in center. Jackie Bradley Jr. feels it cleanly. 95.9, and he gets Alvarez trying to stretch it into a double. Uh, let's take a listen to that. Kelly comes set, man. The 2-2 to Alvarez. 
shot left center that's it well heading out there to the wall and off the fence he's heading to second here's the throw the tag he's out the Red Sox cut him down I wonder if they will take a look at this on a bang bang play he's out what a great throw by Jackie Bradley Jr. once again puts it right on the money. So we were actually uh, at the the Twins Yankees game that night trying to you know have Byron Buxton do awesome things, which unfortunately we didn't get. And uh, I remember looking at my phone and, and seeing, oh, Jackie Bradley had the three hardest throws in baseball that night. That that that, which is true. He had the ninety five nine. Uh, he had a ninety five four where he might have had the assist if uh, third baseman would held on to the ball, and he had a ninety five two as well. Uh, where the throw is a little bit well. So he had the three hardest throws in baseball that night. We've talked about Jackie Bradley's arm a lot. Jackie Bradley has a very strong arm. Uh, he's one of only a dozen players since we started tracking to have a 101-mile-an-hour throw. Extremely impressive. So I tweeted that, and that's great and cool. But we've also talked a little bit on the show about Brett Phillips of the Brewers. Brett Phillips was, I think, our Hall of Fame inductee last week for hitting 104.1 miles an hour. And so uh, later on, Brett Phillips threw 104.7 miles an hour, which... It was like the second hardest throw I've ever tracked. Anyway, long story short, somebody on Twitter uh, replied to me with, oh, but Jackie Bradley had the three hardest throws of the day. That's cute because look what, look what Phillips just did. Like, okay, being an internet tough guy, whatever. Jackie Bradley himself replies to that saying, well, this is cute too with a screenshot of one of our StatCast graphics showing his 105.1 mile an hour throw, which was the second fastest at the time of the StatCast era. Uh, this is basically Tommy Pham replying to base running haters with his fan graphs metrics. And so I immediately am elevating Jackie Bradley into the Tommy Pham pantheon of players who I think are awesome by uh, replying to haters with stats. I love that so much. That's why, I mean, it was a great throw. Sure. It's not his best throw, but that's why it's in our hall. It was a pretty good throw though. I mean, it was, it was I mean, Pedro Alvarez, not fleet of foot, but with two outs in a tie game in the seventh, you sure, you sure should try and stretch a single to a double on a ball hit off the wall. But Bradley fielded it cleanly on one hop and just fired a strike on a fly to second base. And it was close, but Alvarez was uh, was out. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, that's that's one of his many attributes. I think he is, I can't remember now, like fourth in our outs above average leaderboard. He's, he's in the top five, at least. It's like it's Buxton, Inciarte, Betts and Bradley and Kane in some order in our top five. So Bradley is absolutely elite. He's still not going to win the gold glove because Byron Buxton, I think, is better. But it'll be interesting conversation. Anyway, any player who has a skill like that and responds to people with stat cast stats uh, gets respect in my book. So welcome to our Hall of Fame, Jackie Bradley Jr. We uh we, we salute you. That's our show for this week. This is the MLB.com StatCast podcast. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening.